Thank you. That is very kind. And Happy New Year. Oh, it's good to be, good to be back. Um, I've had a couple of weeks off over Christmas. Many of you have too. It's nice to be back together. And um, if you've got a Bible, do you want to turn to Luke chapter 10? This is going to be a, a one-off message uh, on the subject of busyness. And, oh, did you hear that? Wow. That did not happen at either of the two meetings I preached at earlier. There's obviously something in the Catford water that makes me, oh. We're going to speak about busyness. I want to talk about the difference between pursuing many things and pursuing one thing through a story in Luke chapter 10. And uh, New Year is a good time to do this because New Year is a kind of time of year when many of us will set ourselves new goals or challenges. Things I do this and sort of make a note of the things I want to might, might want to achieve, might want to read, might want to say, might want to write, might want to look more at, research family goals, all of those things. And many of us will do things a bit like that. And that can be really good because it's good to prioritize, it's good to plan, and it's good to declutter sometimes, to look at your life and say, actually, I need to do that more than that. So it can be really helpful. But there comes a danger with that process of planning and goal setting as well, which some of you may have experienced in the last few days, which is that you look at your year, having come back from Christmas, where you don't often don't do much, you come back to it and you think, right, I'm going to do this, 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 and you pile in loads of new things you want to do on top of a life that's already quite busy, And you create further busyness, which although it makes you more productive, can actually make you less spiritually fruitful. And actually mean that you don't grow as much. You don't actually, when I say spiritually fruitful, I mean becoming more like Jesus, becoming the things that really matter in the Christian life, that we can end up putting more things in that take out the things that make us actually grow because we've got so many things to do. And so I wanted to begin this year by looking at one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. It's a very short story about two sisters, Martha and Mary, and a conversation Jesus has with both of them. And I want to see what practical wisdom we can get from it about productivity and busyness and enjoying the presence of Jesus, which I think is the, the one thing Jesus is going to refer to in a moment in this story. And what it's going to do is it's going to ask us a very important question for the whole year, which is, in 2018, are we going to be people who pursue many things or who pursue one thing? Now, you're all going to do many things, right? Um, when nobody's just spending the entire year just, I'm enjoying the presence of Jesus. Haven't eaten anything since last August, but I'm still enjoying You think, no, 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 that doesn't work. There's a lot of things we have to do. But are you going to pursue, are you going to seek one thing or many things in 2018? So let's read Luke 10, beginning at verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God. Now, considering this passage is 2,000 years old, I think it's got incredible relevance for life today in London in the 21st century because the question that it raises 
Are you going to pursue many things or one thing? Are you going to be a Martha or Mary? It's not the only thing the story's doing, but it's a key one, I think. Is even more pressing now than it was then. And not only that, but I think that the reasons why Martha was pursuing many things rather than one thing are the same reasons that you and I struggle with that same dynamic today. Now, I find four as I work through this story, and three of them are bad reasons, and one of them is a good reason. But there are reasons why Martha is looking at many things instead of one thing, and they're the exact same four things that you and I face as we are trying to focus our lives in the course of the 21st century. And the first reason that I can see, which is kind of pretty obvious, is distraction. Martha, if you like, Mary is sitting, listening to the teaching of Jesus, talking to him, hearing him. She is having fellowship with Jesus. She is doing the one thing. Martha, her sister, is distracted. It says in verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. She's just doing a lot of stuff. She's distracted. And distraction was clearly a problem then for her. But I would be surprised if it wasn't an even bigger problem now for us. In fact, I doubt there's ever been a generation of humans who are faced with more distractions than we are. Far more than you would be if you were a woman in a peasant village in Judea in the first century. You and I have access to, many of us have access to more distractions in our pockets than any human being could have dreamed of 20 or 30 years ago. And the reality is that with all of those extra things we can and could think about, we can often get led away simply by distraction alone from focusing on the one thing that Jesus has called us to do, which is to spend time with him and to enjoy him. As I say, that's not the only thing we will do, but that is the priority, the thing that you cannot live without. And we can get led away from it simply by distraction, as Martha was, and I suspect as many of us are. Here's a few examples of how modern life makes that problem even worse. Cheap, quick travel. Right? That's great. I love the fact that you can get around much cheaper and quicker than you could in any generation before us. I like the fact that you can do EasyJet or Ryanair if you want to. I like the fact that you can travel on the train and get almost anywhere you want to go in the world. But one of the things that does is it dramatically raises our expectations of the number of places we can see and things we can do in a lifetime. And that itself can become a distraction. You've seen those books... 1,000 places to go before you die. Have you seen those? Like, 1,000? This is ridiculous. Like, that, and, and what it does is, of course, it makes you think, oh, I haven't lived. If you meet somebody and you go, oh, actually, I've, I've just never left London. People go, really? That's very weird. Why haven't you left London? Because there's so much. Now, most people in history would live in a community, a village or a small town, and never leave. And they might go a few miles, and that's their experience. But for us, we go, no, we, we must do loads and loads of that and get distracted with it. And actually, one of the things it does, of course, is it means that we travel more, not less. So we spend more time traveling than when travel was slower, which sounds silly, but it's true. It means that we do things like commuting, which most people would not have thought to do. Getting in transport to get from A to B to go to work every day is not something most people have done. But we all do, well, I say we all, an awful lot of us, I certainly do, an awful lot of us do it. And one of the things that can do is just fill our life with a whole load of time taken up on something that for most humans in history has not been a major feature of their lives. So you can get distracted through travel. And that makes us often very busy because we're traveling all the time. In fact, one study found that commuters face more stress than riot police or fighter pilots. And some of you are going, I know, that's exactly what it feels. You should see the South Circular. And and that's the experience many of us have. So cheap travel. Online information means you can get distracted very easily. If you're, there can be a silly version and a serious version. Silly version is, I do this, 
on my sofa watching Netflix. Who's that actor? 20 years ago, I would have gone, don't know. Now I go, oh, I'm going to go and find him. <laughs> disappear off. You're not even watching what's on the show. And you disappear down this rabbit warren of websites. And then suddenly you go, what happened? And Rachel, like, just listen. You know, and that's, that dynamic means that's trivia, but it can be distracting. But there's a serious version as well, which is you and I can become so aware of the need there is in the world and the amount of suffering there is in the world through online information that we're continually being assaulted with new things to get upset about or to get engaged in. And the problem is we become all-knowing but not all-powerful, right? So we know everything but we don't do anything about almost all of it. And actually, of course, what God calls us to do is to say, you can't solve almost any of those problems. What I've asked you to do is to be here in this place with these people and use your money in this way, and that will help some little corner of what's going on, and that's great. And there's a big church of about two billion other people who do their thing, and collect. And I'm God, and I'll look after it, but you're, you're supposed to do that. The problem is that we can get distracted because we're aware of so much need, we don't know what to do about it. We can get distracted by possessions, because we have so much stuff. Even those of us among us who have the least still probably have more stuff than most people who've ever been alive, and we can get caught in a cycle of buying and maintaining and insuring and replacing and selling and storing, all of that stuff. Even staying up after the sun has gone down is quite a new thing. Most people haven't needed to do that. Most people don't go to bed at 11 or 12. Like If you go to bed at 11 or 12, you think that's just because of electricity that you can do that. And that can actually add loads of other things that most people haven't had to do. So Martha's distracted. You and I are probably much more distracted than she was in our lives and therefore assaulted by more opportunities to get muddled and taken away from the one thing led away by the many. This is what happens in miniature in my family when one of my children is sick at night. So in my family, what happens is one of the worst noises you can get at is you're asleep and then you hear a voice down the hall just go, now, the lovely thing about that voice is it always goes, Mom, rather than Dad, and that's great. <laughs> but because I'm a, I feel like a, I want to be a good dad, I get up as well. Now, Rachel is focused at this point. She is calm and collected, and she knows what you have to do and when. She goes, you have to take the clothes off. You put them in her. It's a safe thing. Make sure this doesn't get, dis- get disinfected with that. Make sure the child is clean. If, if need, give them a little bit of wipe down, then put the clothes over there. She's methodical. She nails it. I am a... Like, I said a headless chicken would be understating it. I am like what happens if you unleashed a box of fireworks in a downstairs toilet, right? I am completely hysterical. Oh, they've been sick, they've been sick. And I start running around and picking things off the banisters and then putting them down again and then pouring away drinks and then running downstairs and running back upstairs again and randomly shouting. That's what happens in my life. And some of us, our whole lives is like that writ large, which is there's one thing to be done here And you don't know what it is, so you're just running around doing anything. And some of us actually live like that a bit, and that means that we're often late or tired or sighing. And we find our lives, there's other reasons to be tired, right? But, and they, some of them are good ones, but some of us can lead our lives without focus on the one thing, and so we just run around like headless chickens because we are distracted by all the stuff that there is to do and think about. The biggest cause of which is technology, I suspect. Technology is wonderful. I'm using it as we speak right now. I love technology. I'm not a let's get rid of all of our stuff kind of person. But if we are not wise about it, whether it's televisions or streaming or mobile everything or the internet, whatever it might be, we can find that it will increase our distraction, our busyness, our stress, and diminish our joy if we're not wise. 
right? Because technology is addictive. Actually, you know, likes and retweets, those sorts of things can, you know, favorites, that kind of thing, can give you a little dopamine buzz and you can actually become addicted to what you're doing. If you're on social media and there'll be all kinds of other tech, you know, some of you will find you don't even realize you're doing it. You just do it without even knowing you're doing it. Um, it can be a very, it can be a debilitating thing to be distracted almost consistently. Could you go a day without your phone? Could you go a week without your phone? You can hear the noise. Some people are going, no. Some of them work here. Um, and, uh, and there's some, but you, but you might find, actually, go, go further. There's a guy I know who, who took up, he fasted screens for Lent. So he took 40 days without a screen. And I just thought, some of you, including me, are going, I don't even know how you would do life without a screen. That's so integral to our lives. And I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying if you couldn't, there might be a problem. Do you see? If your life is dependent enough on it, technology can be addictive. It can undermine families. If you have teenage kids, you're living this all the time. Because you don't... So how, how am I going to... I don't want to be the kind of parent who says, no, you are not allowed to use th- things that are, in the end are just part of normal life. But I also don't want this thing, which is meant to be a servant, to become a master. And therefore, I want to put boundaries around my kids in a way that protects them and us as a family from being eaten away by this thing that was never designed to do it. And we should never use it to do it. So you might have to say, no, yeah, no screens at mealtimes, no phones go upstairs at night. We never turn on our phones until such and such has happened in the day. Or we have a day where none of us use screens or whatever it might be. There's all kinds of things people do. And people, other people will think you're weird, including your kids. But it may well be that that's actually an important aspect of wisdom to prevent distraction destroying our joy, which it, which it can do. Mobile technology is changing our, the way our brains work. So the studies, again, show you just can't concentrate now for as long as you used to be able to because you're used to flicking on screens. It was about four years ago I was teaching theology in a class of sort of teaching Old Testament theology or something. Standing up, and I got my notes like this, a piece of paper just like this, and I went... <laughs> and, I, and I suddenly realized what I'd done, and I thought, oh, my goodness. And actually, one of the decisions I made was I... I'm flicking. If I read the Bible on a screen, I'm flicking. And I never want to do that with the Word of God, so I'm going to go back to a paper Bible. But it's just a kind of a wake-up call for me. I have just lost the ability to concentrate for sustained periods, or I am losing it if I'm not careful. So I need to be wise. Technology can prevent us from being alone. So you get distracted from being alone with Jesus because you're never alone because you go into your room, and, as Jesus says, and shut the door and pray to your phone who is in secret. And you think, that's no good. That's not what he said at all. But actually we can do that and allow technology gets everywhere. Like water finds every crack. Social media cultivates insecurities. Technology undermines rhythms. So you're supposed to work at work and rest at home. And technology means you can play at work and work at home. And that's not to say you can never do those things. It's just to say that that can undermine the rhythm that God instituted of six and one, work and rest, Sabbath, play, harvest. It's not meant to be the way we are. The average American now sleeps two and a half hours less than they did 100 years ago, which I found is a staggering statistic. A lot of that is because of what technology makes possible. None of which says we should go back to horse-drawn carts and typewriters, but it may mean changing our habits a bit. And it may mean fighting distraction more intentionally than we are used to doing. Being wise, not taking phones upstairs, protecting your children, reading a book. Right? We need wisdom that the many things not take us away from the one thing. 
That's the first reason Martha was not attentive and as a, to the one thing is distraction. And I think it was a, it's a bigger issue for us than her. The second thing, more briefly, is pride. Verse 40, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, in this moment, Martha sounds like a bit of a martyr. I'm doing all this work and she's not helping. If it wasn't for me, nothing would ever get done around here. Now, some of us... This is, we've just had Christmas. Someone's going, that's just what I said on Boxing Day about the washing up. Tell, and often it's not she, it's he to come and help me, right? And so we, we might have that attitude or we might know what that's like. And it's not always bad. But I'll, underneath Martha's comment, I sense there might be some pride in there, which is really, I am the one who makes this thing work. And she, Now, even if that's not true for Martha, I know it is true for me. I suspect it was true for her too. But here's how pride can lead to busyness. In my life as well. It doesn't, in my own case, take the, I am the only one who's doing the housework. That's not my challenge. But I am the one who's doing this, this, and this. And therefore, I don't have time to focus on him, Jesus. Definitely happens in my life. Here's how it works. Pride leads to people-pleasing in my life. I want people to think well of me. So I do more things than I should because I want them to think I'm great. Here's the phrase that kills me because I enjoy hearing it so much in my sin. Right, so please, nobody in this room ever say this to me. I don't know how you do it. All oh, that kills me. Because underneath there's like a bit of me that goes, I know, I know. I don't know how I do it either. I'm just, I'm an unusually marvelous person. And thanks for saying it. Thanks, Now, I, it's not good for me to hear it. And often, I, I did it, I remember once doing it, where I sent an email to somebody at a time when I should never have been sending emails. And I realized after doing it that the reason why I'd sent it at that time was because I wanted them to get into work the next day and then go, how did you find time to do that? I don't know how you do it. And I realized this is a huge problem for me. I, the sense I want other people to think I'm amazing, so I do things I shouldn't even do to try and impress people. I'm, no one else does that. Yay! I do it, and it's a problem. Pride can lead to proving yourself. Right? Some of us decades after we left home, are still doing certain things, taking on more than we should because we want our parents to think that we've made, made something of our lives. It might, it might not be your parents, it might be someone else. Where we can become busier than we should, distracted away from the one thing by many things, partly because we're trying to get somebody else to think well of us, to prove ourselves. Pride can lead to taking on more possessions, which then require maintenance. Pride can lead to... People saying, actually, I'm just busy because I want pity. I want people to be sympathetic towards me. I I love it when people come up and say, you're so busy. I'm sure you don't have any time for me. Yeah, in my job, some some people in this room have probably said something a bit like that to me. It's bad for me because my ego underneath is going, really important. I don't know. I haven't even got time to send this email back saying I don't have time. And yet, underneath... You know that because that's the that's the that's what sin does, though, isn't it? It gets into your soul, and you start going, "I am very busy. I am very important." And pride generates busyness so that people will feel sympathy for you. Sometimes I'm not saying that's the only thing, but it does happen, at least to me. Pride can lead to perfectionism, right? If I, the great Andrew, was to really put my back into it, I would produce something perfect here. That's pride, and therefore I work harder on it than I perhaps should, and become busy and become unable to concentrate on the one thing. So you might be busy because of pride. Here's a good way to tell. Next time you're considering to take something on, ask yourself this question honestly. Am I doing this to do good or to look good? And the answer will usually be both. 
But to the extent that to look good is part of it, that's pride and it needs to be something we repent of and ask for God's help to die to rather than to embrace and celebrate. So, there's distraction, there's pride. The third thing we know Martha struggled with, because Jesus told her, is anxiety. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, little note, if Jesus says your name twice, you're usually in trouble. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Like, well, that doesn't sound good. Martha, Martha. No, no, don't look over there. Look at me. You know, it's that kind of spirit to it, hasn't it? It's like a very, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. You are anxious and troubled about a lot of things. Mary's chosen the one thing, and it's good, and I'm not going to take it away. But you're anxious with all this other stuff. And again, in our 21st century city lives, the, the call of Jesus to us is saying, you must not be so anxious about everything. You must trust me. And many of the times we are busy because of fear. Fear of danger. Fear of not making enough of our lives. Fear of letting people down. Fear of failure. The devil loves it. He does everything he can to fan the flames of fear in our lives and get us to not trust and instead be anxious and therefore fill our lives with stuff that is not listening to Jesus. He does it in different ways depending on your life stage. So you might be listening to some of this stuff thinking, actually, I'm I'm on the older end of things now. My life is not particularly busy. And the devil is even using some of the things I'm saying now to get you and go, you're not making enough of your life. You're not doing enough, because otherwise you'd have the same problem everyone else here does. Some of you are feeling that now, and you think, the devil is just trying to manipulate and twist truth into attack and fear-mongering. Some of you, life stage-wise, some of you you got children, some of you don't have children. So people without children, sometimes the devil will come and say, because you don't have children... You, you are somehow second class and therefore you need to do all these things to uh, compensate for that and fill your life with clutter. If you do have children, the devil comes to you with a different tack and he says, he makes you fear about your children. And he comes and he says, you, you what? You, you send your children to the nearest school. Surely, you know, you've got to commute to that excellent school in like Barnet and spend four and a half hours in rush hour traffic every day because if you don't, your child won't get the best possible start in life. What? You put sugar in their lunchbox. How could you do such a thing? You child abuser. I can't believe you would think that. Instead of using, you do the easiest thing instead of the, the most difficult thing. Your child, you stay in a car seat until you're six foot two in this country. You should know that. And you've got to make sure they're properly strapped in. And on and on and on it goes. And the devil accuses and gives fear and anxiety to those actually about something many of us probably need to stand back and say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I'm trusting God, I'm doing what I can, and I'm not going to allow my life to be governed by the anxiety over my children. Now, nothing wrong with parents being committed to the well-being of their kids. I trust you know that I think that and try and do that. But we are, there's something very wrong with being driven by anxiety. And we're called to trust God for good things. The irony is, of course, that the most powerful weapon against anxiety about many things is spending time with Jesus. And that's the one thing that we don't do if we spend all our time over here. So we've got to be aware, if you're like me, the one thing in life that consistently dissipates the anxiety is when you have those moments with Jesus where you think, 
I have heard from God today. I've read scripture. He's shown his love for me. I trust him. I know that in the end, all things will be made well. And actually, there's some stuff that doesn't matter as much as I thought it did because I've seen the face of Jesus. And when that happens, you go, no, I don't worry so much. But the devil doesn't want you to know that. So he goes, spend all your time doing all this. And so we have anxious, we are anxious and troubled about many things. And Jesus wants to say to many of us this morning, Martha, Martha, stop it. Mary's chosen what's good, and I'm not going to take it away. So Martha was busy because of distraction and pride and anxiety. But the thing that makes this difficult is that the fourth and final thing that made her busy was actually a good thing, not a bad thing. Martha was also busy because of kindness. She was doing something good. Here's what it says in verse 39. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. See, I sympathize with Martha. I'm giving her a hard time here because I think Luke and Jesus both use this story as an example of what Christians shouldn't do. But the reason why she's in this position in the first place, imagine you're a peasant woman, everything's done by hand, right? No washing machine, dishwasher, tumble dryer, none of that. You do everything yourself. You, running, the, running a house for a day is a very full-time job in itself. And then suddenly this bloke walks in, probably with a whole retinue of fishermen, and you're going to suddenly start catering for all of them. You think, actually, what Martha could have said is, I'm not going to have those oiks in my house. I don't even know them, and they smell of fish. Go away. But she didn't do that. She said, come into my home. And as a result, all sorts of new work springs up out of the ground. She's not going to be able to go, oh, I'll just stick that in the microwave for them. She's got to do something that she didn't have to do. And that kindness has created work for her. And often, you and I are busy simply because we are trying to do the right thing. We are trying to be kind to people. We're trying to love people and serve people. And life isn't easy. It's hard work, isn't it? Right? A lot of the things that you and I are distracted by from the the one thing is good things. It's not the best thing in this story. Right? Martha's doing many things. Mary's doing the best thing. But these things aren't bad in themselves. Nothing wrong with cooking and washing up. Nothing wrong with going to work. Nothing wrong with a lot of the things we do. And that's often what makes applying this on our lives a bit tricky because it isn't just a question of repenting of things and stopping them. Sometimes it's a question of saying, do you know I have mixed motives? I don't, maybe you don't, but I do. I, go, I don't know. I think this thing, even though it takes a lot of time, is something I must do because it's kind, it's loving. And so, but I think that that bit of it crowds in on me and I'm doing that because of anxiety. And this bit over here, I just got distracted and muddle-headed and that bit over there I did because of pride. That's how human beings work, I think. That's how sin works. And so we have to be able to sift and use wisdom to take all of these elements and say, I'm going to do my best to not let that take over while at the same time continuing to do this and prioritizing that. Because life is hard work. And one day it won't be. One day the curse is going to get lifted and creation is going to be renewed and the mountains are going to be covered with vineyards and all of us are going to enter into God's everlasting rest. But until that day, there is a lot of work to do, isn't there? And that can make life tiring, even if you're not distracted or proud or anxious. And so we got, we got, what we've got to do is we've got to sift through, I think, those motives and understand what it is that we're doing and why. And so Martha missed out. I've just not lost my place in my notes completely here, you see. I think what I've done is lost my final page. So I'm going to have to try and remember what it was that I said. But I hope that's going to be okay. Here's the one thing that we must do in 2018, because this is how Jesus lands the story, okay? So if you turn to verse 42, 
He says, Martha, you're anxious about many things, right? You've got these various reasons why you're crazy busy. One thing is necessary, right? All of these things might be useful. This one thing is the one thing that you cannot do without, and Mary's doing it right now. She is sitting at my feet, listening and talking to me. That's the thing without which you cannot flourish. You can cope this year being a bit less good at your job. You can cope being a bit less good at parenting, being a bit less good as a friend. You can cope. I'm not saying you should be on purpose, but you can. But what you cannot do is live your life without drawing your life from the presence of Jesus, without reflecting on his words, which I guess would now be the reading of scripture and reflecting on it, and without talking to him, which we would be prayer, worship. Like, we structure everything we do as a church around those things, don't we? Even this meeting you've just been in is basically half talking to God in song and half hearing from God through the word because we want to reflect this balance of sitting with Jesus and hearing him and speaking to him as a natural way of having fellowship with him. And that's the thing we can't do without. Now, we do that corporately, and that's in this kind of context, and we do that in the context of groups, which again, we've heard about already this morning, but we'll do that. We'll get into groups partly because we just want to have context to hear the words of Jesus and apply them in our lives week to week. And not just here, but in homes around the, around the area. But, so there's all kinds of ways in which we will do this practically, and many of us will do it personally as well. We'll say, I set aside this bit of my day, these sections of my week, to listen to the teaching of Jesus and to talk to him. But Jesus is saying, that's the one thing. So Martha... These things might be done for good or bad reasons or often a mixture of both. But the one thing you cannot live without is this thing here. As Mary is sitting and listening to my teaching. That's the thing you must do this year. And that's why I just really invite you with all I can to come and join us even on Wednesday night as we pray together as a church. I'm going to be here. I'm looking forward to it just to spend time at the feet of Jesus. And I'm aware of the irony in a message on busyness saying, hey, could you do something? But actually, I'm, conv- I'm only doing that because I'm convinced that that's actually a good way of responding to the one thing. It's not, and we don't overdo it here. We don't have like 19 prayer meetings a week or anything like that. But sometimes when we do get everyone together, it's just great to come and say, I, wanna, I want to sit at the feet of Jesus and commune with him for a while because I know I need to. I know actually that's what he wants from me. But whether or not that's something you're even able to do this Wednesday, that's the thing that in our ordinary lives, in our families, in our homes, in our groups, in our commutes, in our personal lives, Jesus would say to you this year, do you know what, you might be anxious and distracted and troubled by many things, but there is only one thing that's necessary, and Mary is doing it, and I'm not going to take it away from her. Let's be people who put the one thing over the many in 2018, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, and we thank you that his yoke is easy, And his burden is light. And we want to spend time with him as much as anything just to draw life from the one who takes our burdens upon himself. If I carry my burdens myself, I'm going to struggle this year. But I need you to carry them and for me to stand alongside you and learn your way. And as I'm doing that, to gradually feel the weight of some of those other things lifting off me. So I pray that you would help me, you'd help us, my brothers and sisters here, to be those who... Do the one thing this year, and in doing so, find the many things become much easier as well. Lord, that you would help us to make wise, mature choices. Lord, that even you would help, by your Spirit, you would help those of us who've heard this stuff and are already beginning to feel pressure, like, oh, now you need to do that as well. Lord, that you would help those of us who are sensitive of conscience just to 
discern well what you are saying to us and not what the enemy would have us pile on. Lord, may we make wise choices in response to what you've said to us today, but we do pray that we would be those who are able to sit at your feet and enjoy being with you this year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.